Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. Okay, so you asked... You asked for me to bring Shadeen Francis, the epic sex and relationship therapist, back onto this podcast and I listened. And I did because I adore you. And so um, a lot of you sent me DMs. I, I tried to group them in together because a lot of you were asking a lot of the same questions. And so I hope you find that reassuring that a lot of the things that were brought up were brought up in the thousands and and so you are not alone in whatever it is that you may have written in about. And maybe you're just a spectator who has no wishes in your love or sex life or lack thereof, and you're just content, but you're curious. Shadeen is so special. She not only is unbelievably kind and warm and intelligent and uh, charismatic, but also her voice. My God, it's like butter. It's hard to keep concentrating sometimes when you're interviewing her because I just want to just like melt. She makes me melt. And so if you would like an hour and a half of a woman with truly the most beautiful speaking voice in the world, um, talking to you about sex and love in the kindest and best way ever, then this episode is for you. And I want to also reassure you that perhaps if some of the things that you wanted covered were not covered in this episode, that may be because we covered them the last time Shadeen Francis was on. Um, in the first episode we ever had with her, we talked about relationships and stress in lockdown, how to argue in a healthy way, mismatch libido, how to handle rejection if a partner says they're not in the mood, vaginismus, uh, navigating sex after trauma. That was something that a lot of you asked about this time, but we had covered it on the last episode. Asexuality, um, how to tell someone if you want a relationship or something done differently. So those are all things that we talked about last time. This time, there was more of a focus, I would say, on sex and more of a focus on, on people not just not wanting sex whilst in a relationship and kind of things going stale, but a lot of people just really not wanting sex whatsoever at the moment and finding their libidos are lower. So we talked a lot about that. Uh, we talked about how to maintain the sparkle in a long-term relationship or post-pandemic. Uh, we talk about being a virgin later into life uh, and and a multitude of other things, how to deal with fat phobia around yourself and your body image and, and how to navigate that when it comes to sex. We talk about polyamory. And so that's just where a lot of the questions went this week. And so I'm I'm dying to hear how you felt about it. And you should definitely follow Shadeen online. She's absolutely magical. And I'm, I'm obsessed. All right, guys, I'm obsessed. Um, we talk about my attitude to anything to do with bum stuff. So trigger warning for that. If you don't want to hear specifically me talk about um, bum, bum stuff. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm 
I've made myself shy. That's what's just happened. You've just heard me make myself feel shy just from saying bum stuff. So I clearly need more of these conversations with Shadeen because I still have got some work to do in my own self uh, shame and awkwardness around sex. God, I'm so English and embarrassing. God, I hate myself sometimes so much. But I'm not going to cut this out because <laughs> you know me by now. You know that I'm an awkward weirdo and I love you for sticking by me. Um, so please enjoy this episode. I think it is so special. She's so fabulous. And I could not have loved this time with her more. I couldn't cut anything out because it was just all killer, no filler. This is the completely, ridiculously excellent and gorgeous Shadeen Francis. She's back by popular demand. It is the iconic, and I'm so proud to say she's my friend. It is the iconic love and sex and relationship therapist, Shadeen Francis. Hello, how are you? Hi, I am so good and so glad to be back. Hi. I I have been frankly harassed to have you back on this show, uh, and it's only my <laughs> pleasure. But uh, but people have been going on and on since your last appearance on this podcast because you answered so many important and brilliant questions and you just continue to be a fave over at iWay. How have you been? Mm. I've been good. I have taken up ceramics since, I mean, actually since the last time you and I talked, I think that's probably a new development. I am currently making a piggy bank in the shape of a breast. Uh, so life is good. <laughs> That's it's so funny that you say that. This is why this is why we're friends because I've been desperate to get into ceramics and pottery in general just to make um, nudes. I just want to make nudes. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Is there really I'm any obsessed. other kind want, of art? No, I want to make like I read. I really want. <laughs> we don't need to get into this, but it is something <laughs> that I I like. I aspire to eventually fill my house with pornographic pottery. Because uh, you know YOLO, mate, YOLO. Anyway, you have, you have um, not been here yet, but you you will see that we are kindred in that sense. I can't wait. I can't wait to actually be able to go to each other's houses. We've had to do so much. We've had to have an entire friendship basically over Zoom for this last okay. year and a half. I can't believe yeah. I met you just before the pandemic. Um, anyway, I okay. So I put the word out on my Instagram that you were coming back on the show, and we have such a diverse array of questions. And then also, I don't know if you noticed this in your own DMs, but also so many questions that overlapped. So I would like to reassure uh, anyone listening to this podcast, maybe you sent in a question, that most of the questions we chose are the ones that came up again and again and again. So I want you to not feel alone in whatever struggle or situation you may find yourself in because mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe how many of the same themes came up. I was really, I was so interested to to hear what, uh, and it's, I, I predominantly had answers, I don't know about you, but from women to hear uh, what women are going through regarding sex drives, et cetera, at the moment. Yeah, um, okay. I, th I think it'd be important for us to note also that if we don't get to your question, it's literally because there are a bajillion uh, and not because yes. your question isn't important and it's not that we didn't see it uh, and it's not that you're alone in asking it. So, Exactly, exactly. Okay, so we have about 
500,000 questions. So I'm just going <laughs> to jump in. We're going to dart all over the place, if that's all right yeah. with you, Shadeen, just from topic right. to topic, uh, so that we can try and reach as many people as possible because so many people wrote in. Okay, so first of all, I know that traditionally you deal with love and sex and relationships, but you and I were both quite drawn to a question about friendship. So I thought I would Mm. oddly kick this off with that. Someone said, would you be open to sharing tips on how to process the grief of a friendship breakup? Yeah, breakups are are difficult territory in general, but I think that We really don't talk much about the spectrum of intimacy that we have in our world. And for a lot of us, we have friendships that long outlived, you know, relationships, predated relationships that we are in or have been in. And there can be a unique quality about the intimacy of a friendship compared to a romantic partnership. And we can have romantic friendships, yes, but I think that there can absolutely be something special about the choosing of a person that you're saying, I I want to do life with you, but also I'm going to give you space to have kind of all of your own stuff, which is a lot of what our friendships are made of, right? That, you know, yes, some of us might want to like do all of the things with our friends, but we still expect them to like lead their own lives. And so what do we do with the the loss of that connection for some people our our friends are the first people we go to when something hurts our first people to go to when there's something to celebrate and so i think that as we mourn i think that we have to just acknowledge the value of deep human connection as as i think about grief for myself you know and talk about grief with my clients Grief helps us get clear on what it means to be human, right? That the fact that I mourn this loss means that I loved it deeply. And so there there can be something really beautiful in the acknowledgement of that, that there was something beautiful here. And can I find a way to honor my experience of that even as it's gone And maybe I won't be able to recreate this exact thing, but if I can get really clear on what was it that I loved, I might be able to kind of enshrine it or protect it or find other ways to pay homage to that, other ways to build and nurture that in my life. So maybe I really loved the support that this person gave me and what did that support look like and how do I share and show and teach other people for what good support looks like to me. Or maybe this person had a special way of celebrating me. Or maybe this person helped me remember a really important time in my life. How do I continue to honor, continue to honor that? I think one of the best ways that we grieve is to get really clear on what it is that we love and to hold on to that. Absolutely. Although, to devil's advocate you, I also mm. think it's important to look at the things that made you end that friendship or made the other person end that friendship. And um, the ways in which you perhaps were not served in that friendship are so important to also acknowledge so you know what you're Absolutely. also not looking forward, uh, not looking for when you go 
out into the world, open and vulnerable to new friendships. I also just like loved this question. It's something I've been talking about for years that we don't really have a template for breakups with friends, even though I think they're some of the most painful breakups you can ever go through. Like we have a template for breaking up with a lover. We have a template for breaking up with someone you've been married to for 30 years and you have five children with. It, 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 there's no stigma attached to that mm-hmm. that loss. And yet when you make a decision to end a friendship, it feels like oddly a bigger rejection than someone rejecting you, your friendship and your genitals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I don't know if this makes sense. You're just going to have to bear with me yeah. for a second, but no, no, no. It's, it's almost more earth shattering because it's not because the going back to sex, like it's not because the sex fizzled out or you felt attracted to someone else or living together was hard. You know, the things that can sometimes, you know, deteriorate perhaps a romantic relationship or a marriage. Uh, it feels oddly more, more personal and about specifically who you are, especially if someone isn't bound to you in the ways that they are to a marriage. So it can really be, be a big breakup and you shouldn't feel silly if you mourn it the way that you would mourn the loss of a long marriage and, and, you know, get in that ice cream, get that fucking Netflix on and, and, and don't feel like a loser because you just lost a friend. It's, it's one of the hardest things I can imagine. Have you lost a, have you had to break up with many friends? Not many best, best friends. I did have one significant friendship breakup um, mm. at a really pivotal you know point in my life. And I, I, really appreciate us expanding the conversation to think about what wasn't working, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that breakup was precipitated by things that weren't working, um, that really needed to be addressed. And I think that sometimes our narrative around friendships, and I will say like friendships between people who are socialized as women in particular, are expected to be our longest term commitment. Right. Like we have this sort of model for like ride or die friendships, you know, Sisterhood. And it's, you know, yeah, yeah you know, I, I know that it's uh, not as catchy as like bros over hoes, but, you know, we, we do have this, you know, sort of mentality that like your friends come first and that we live and die by the sisterhood. Uh, and so regardless of like your gender or the gender of your friends, I think that there can be a lot of pressure that once you say you are my friend, that this is a lifelong commitment. And so even as we celebrate the love and connection and bondedness that we are missing from having that person in our life in that particular way, I think it's also important for us to acknowledge that as we shift, as we grow, there will be relationships that can't transition with us, right? That there can be friends that are not meant to be with us at the next stage of the journey, right? We are all continuing to grow and evolve. And just because we were a right fit, a best friend fit, a good enough fit for a particular time or place or season doesn't actually mean that, oh, this, you know, this can offer me what I need as I continue to move forward in my life. And so exactly as you were saying earlier, how do we also, you know, be gentle with ourselves as we're grieving? Like you would never tell anyone who's experiencing any other kind of loss, like, oh, get over it. It's not that big of a deal. It's silly. Right. But we can do that to ourselves very often. Right. And so for, for people to hear that, like, yeah, this, this can be and often is deeply, deeply painful. It's painful to lose someone you love, regardless of who they are, right? And so can we yeah. be gentle with ourselves in that? 
I also think it's happening quite a lot probably now in the same way that we've seen uh, some couples become stronger than ever. During the pandemic, we've seen a lot of couples break down and we've seen a lot of friendships start to break down because mm-hmm. I think a lot came to light when we no longer had the chaos of the everyday running world. We uh, had time to sit and think and sit and, you know, check ourselves on who we're actually reaching out to, who we actually crave the company of and and who we're worried about, who we're wondering about and and who was worried about or wondering about us. I think there was a lot of clarity gained in this past year and a half so far. I'm sure there'll be more opportunity mm-hmm. for clarity as we continue to um, completely fuck up this uh, pandemic. Um, anyway, I uh, <laughs> I know that uh, for me, I had I had it a little bit early when I was moving to America. I kind of had that sit down with myself, and I did a ginormous cull of friendships mm-hmm. where I made a list of like all the people that I'm acquaintances with and friends with, and just being like, how do I serve them? How do they serve me? How do we serve mm-hmm. each other? Is this worth carrying on? Because as you get older, it just becomes harder to carry on, and. You know, I think when we're younger, we don't know ourselves. We're more likely to tolerate behaviors that maybe don't mix with ours. We don't fully know who we are. And as you referenced earlier, you know, we're, we're growing all of the time and we can't expect everyone around us to grow in a parallel direction. Yeah. And so just, just grieve, do a postmortem on the relationship and, um, and, and look at it as I guess as as yeah, and look and look at it as a gift and an opportunity to to further improve upon that situation going forward. But I'm sorry yeah, and- to whoever this is. That shit mm-hmm. is really sad and painful when it happens. There's no like greetings cards for that sort of thing. There should be. <laughs> anyway. I know. It's such a it's such a significant pain. Okay. So moving on. We had uh, an overwhelming majority of people writing in about a reduced or completely gone sex drive. Uh, Most of these people, I would say in the vast majority, were women who wrote to me about this. Um, And some of them are are in relationships, some of them aren't. A lot of them are very young. They're as young as between like 21, 25. Um, Of course, some some are older as well. And they're wondering if there's something wrong with them and I was wondering if you could reassure everyone that it's okay to ebb and flow and mm. and just tell me what you think and, and also is this something that you're seeing in your own practice people coming in with this observation about themselves mm-hmm. I've been hearing that a lot more it always it is always a conversation that comes up um because it's a thing that people are often worried about, confused about, embarrassed about. Um, but I'll, but I've been hearing it a lot more through the ongoing pandemic. And I was so, going to ask, do you think that it is COVID yeah. related at all? Do you think it's partially down to the fact that I don't particularly feel sexy when I'm feeling stressed or when I'm looking at a lot of death on the internet? It's just not my thing. And when I'm inactive, because yeah. I'm not really going out as much. And so my that naturally impacts your hormones. It impacts your libido. They say being more active can make some people's libidos increased. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in the house all the time. I I don't know, like I'm just not, I definitely notice like a, and, and all of my friends feel the same way. We're all feeling a reduced libido. Is that partially pandemic related or are we just noticing it more because the pandemic's given us space? to check in with ourselves. 
No, it's absolutely pandemic related, right? Like a, you know, microscopic, potentially fatal virus is a wildly unsexy context for Mm -hmm. the vast majority of people, right? Like Mm -hmm. constantly being worried about your safety and security and the safety and security of your loved ones and like not being able to make like concrete plans for your future or move about the world freely or connect to the people and places and activities that make you feel alive. All of that is super unsexy, very, very unsexy, but it's really easy for us to pathologize ourselves because we're looking at ourselves like, well, I'm sitting inside with, you know, my partner and they've, we've been here for, you know, 96 straight hours without leaving the house. And we haven't had sex one time. Like, do we hate each other now? Right. And I think it's really important for us to remember that like our sexuality, our arousal is a system that requires both yeses, an intention to both the yeses and the noes, right? We're not just like on a constant state of on. And so once Mm -hmm. we have the opportunity, we just go. One of the best descriptors that I um, have for this comes from the work of Dr. Emily Nagoski, who wrote Come As You Are, right? In In that work, she talks a lot about accelerators and brakes, right? And so- if our system, if our arousal is sort of the average of things that turn me on and things that turn me off, there are a lot of things to turn you off in the middle of a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it is not surprising that I'm feeling pretty off or pretty low, right? Or pretty limited or pretty stuck or pretty stagnant a lot of the time. Right. And maybe I already, you know, had a lot of things that acted as breaks in my life before. So lots of responsibilities, maybe, you know, the time of day that we're trying to approach sex isn't ideal for me. Maybe I am tired. Maybe I am overwhelmed. Maybe I am lonely. Maybe I just aren't, aren't having the kind of sex that feels really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Right, that all of that matters, and then we add in this other big social layer. Right, that yeah, your arousal is a balance of how on your ons are and how off your offs are, and so if we are out of balance, you will feel it. And I mean, I feel as though that's something. It's a conversation that I've certainly had even with you more regularly when we're talking about people who are in a long-term relationship, perhaps maybe stuck in the house together, but it's a lot of young single people. And I feel like they are the ones who feel like, because there's so little conversation around the fact that not everyone's super randy all the time when they're young, just because that's what they show in the films and everyone's always shagging and wanking all the time in films and they're young and they all look the same. Uh, That's not necessarily the case, you know, some of us, and also some of us may be dealing with trauma. I know that was definitely a big thing for me, but some people aren't. Some people are just wired differently and that's okay. And I feel, I feel so sad to see how, how worried the people in my DMs were for the fact that they were young and feeling um, like they had a very limited sexual interest or capacity. Do you feel like it's getting younger? Mm. I mean, I, I know I've read articles over the last couple of years that say that um, younger people like Gen Z, et cetera, are less interested perhaps in sex than us. Do you, do you think there's any validity to that? Hmm. 
mean, some of this will be, you know, speculative because I, I don't have the data on it. I, mm-hmm. I think that what I can say that I see is that younger people are more educated and so they are actually making choices that are more in alignment with what they actually want. Right. I think that for a lot of us, you know, millennials and Gen Xers, right, boomers and upwards, I think that we can admit that we had a lot of early experiences that we didn't really want. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that we weren't demonstrating enthusiastic consent or we were confused or I mean, we just sort of did it. Right. We didn't really know. I think that yeah. because so many really incredible writers and speakers and activists and educators and performers and, you know, of all kinds uh, are really working really hard to make sure that the generations coming up behind us and alongside us have more information than we had. I think it's actually empowering people to make better choices and i'm not saying that it's a better choice to not have sex but i think that sometimes it's actually the choice that we wanted or needed right to find other outlets for our loneliness or our desire to be liked or to be popular or to be interesting um for other ways for us to explore intimacy with other people or for us to turn some of that towards our own bodies rather than seeking out constant you know connection with other people's bodies i just think people have more choices and are honoring that i agree i also think that the media has changed around it just as you were talking i was realizing that you know my generation grew up on sex and the city and all these kind of different shows that were all about you know and friends and whatnot and it was yeah. all like will they won't they is she going to finally find love are they going to be together you know so we were so programmed yeah. with the idea that you have to be in a relationship and if someone isn't then there's something wrong with them whereas i feel as though the role models that gen z have are so much healthier like rihanna being like no, I didn't come here hoping to leave with someone. I've come here to leave with my award. You know, when she'd be asked these, like, you know, (laughs) embarrassing questions on the red carpet about, you know, who's the love in her life right now? And she was always just like, I don't need a bloody love in my life. I don't need a man. And we saw the same thing with, you know, Billie Eilish and just so many empowered women talking about the joys of living alone, of being alone, Mm -hmm. of of finding yourself, of of finding that love with your best friends. And, and, you know, I feel as though we've taken more ownership over providing our own orgasms. You know, my generation, Mm -hmm. it was embarrassing to masturbate and use sex toys. It meant that you were some sort of uh, outlier. Whereas this generation, it's just such an open, wonderful conversation. So I I love the idea that it's because Gen Z have the sense to master their, and the information to master their own autonomy when it comes to relationships and sex. That's a great way of looking at it. Some people are, you know, dealing with more traditional uh, issues around this in that, as in like the kind of things that we've definitely had before on the show. Someone's asked, how do I feel like a sexual being again? I have no urges and I feel it's down to my personal issues with my weight. My husband is so understanding, but it sucks. That is another type of message that I received so many of. So many people whose bodies have changed either over the course of the last 18 months or after kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're Mm -hmm. struggling with that. And it's not just that they are feeling very sexual and they're embarrassed to take their clothes off it's actually impacted them to the point where they no longer feel sexual. Can you explain Mm -hmm. that to me and, and, and help give some tips about how you could reconnect with yourself? I want to, I want to walk this as a bridge from the previous question. Um, 
about, you know, loss of, of libido in, in other contexts, right? That when we notice that our bodies are no longer sort of on or available, that's important information. And so where I want us to start is by thinking about how do we move out of a relationship with our bodies that is rooted in conflict, So the way that I like to introduce this to people is to think about like, what would it look like for you to make peace with your body? Mm -hmm. And this can cover all kinds of spectrums. But when we think about legacies of ableism and sexism and racism, you know, and and fat phobia sits, you know, at the intersection of all of those, right? Fat fat antagonism, anti-fatness, right? That those are ways in which we take all of these external systems of oppression that tell you that you are not good enough, you are not worthy, you are not deserving, your body doesn't matter, nobody wants you here, right? We take all of that and internalize it and have that same conflicted relationship with our bodies, right? So my body is not curvy enough, my body is too curvy, my skin is too dark, my hair is too kinky, you know, my lips are too big, my legs don't move the way other people's legs move, I have too strong of a lisp, whatever it is, right? And we wage war with our bodies and then hope that somehow we will be able to orgasm, right? Out of violence. And that's not really the ways that our bodies work. And I don't say that to shame anyone for that because we're all fighting through that. We're all working through that. We're all navigating Mm -hmm. that. We have all received so many messages that tell us that because of the bodies we inhabit, we do not deserve pleasure. And so beyond whatever the particular thing is, and fat tends to be a particularly salient one because especially in you know North America, there is a particular war waged against fat and therefore fat people, right? The way that we move away from participating in that is by quite frankly deciding that regardless of the body that I am in, I deserve to feel good. Mm. Right? We have to decide that point blank. That is the surrender. Right, that that is our statement of surrender. That is how we get out of war. It's deciding that even if I'm in a fat body, I deserve to feel good. Even if I'm in a skinny body, I deserve to feel good. Even if I'm in a dark skinned body, I deserve to feel good. We have to find a way to hold that and repeat that and chant that and shout that and honor that and live that and spread that because you won't be able to receive it from someone else if you're not able to start practicing saying it to yourself. And when you say that to yourself, it also makes it more possible for you to act that out with other people, right? If you decide I am, you know, this person I think had had mentioned their weight, which is, you know, why we keep Mm -hmm. coming back to it, right? If you decide that I am too fat to deserve pleasure, Are you also saying that other fat people that you see in the world, people who are the same size as you or bigger than you, are you saying that they don't deserve to feel good? You would never say that because you you would see and understand that like, ooh, that's kind of shitty. (laughs) That's not fair, right? But we do that again to ourselves. We don't treat ourselves with the same kind of compassion that we'd be willing to extend to other people. And I was going to say that if if you are struggling to sit down and have that conversation with yourself, like if 
you are so accustomed to showing a lack of compassion towards yourself that you don't even know where to begin in reassuring yourself, boosting yourself up, reminding yourself that you deserve joy. I always find it helpful for myself when I'm struggling with self-kindness mm-hmm. is that I imagine I was talking to a friend going through the exact same issue, like someone I love the most in the world. Would I ever yeah. tell a friend with a disability that they shouldn't be having sex. They don't deserve pleasure. They don't deserve love. Would I ever say that to someone in a body that doesn't look like the traditional Instagram body? No, it wouldn't even occur to me. It wouldn't occur to me. I would physically harm someone who said that to someone that I love, Mm. made them feel that way. It's so preposterous to me. And so that could be a helpful exercise for you is just to step away from yourself and imagine what you said, write down maybe what you would say to a friend and then read it back to yourself. Can I also offer um, a little professional sex hack here? So our sneaky pro tip, right? You heard it here first. No one has ever said this before. (laughs) Don't have sex with people who aren't attracted to you. Mm -hmm. Well, she stipulates that her husband's very into her and he's very understanding of her lower libido, et cetera. And so this isn't specifically geared towards this person, but for a lot of folks who are really struggling, you know, with, you know, am I deserving? Am I worthy of this? Right. Let's try and set a a standard for ourselves wherever possible. I'm only interested in having sex with people who want to have sex with me. And so if they are showing up to sex, it means they want to have sex with you. Right. If someone is consenting to be like, yeah, I'm going to be sexual with you. Right. They're saying, I care about your pleasure. I want you to feel good. I want to have sex with you. If you're not forcing someone to be there, if you didn't say like be here or else. Right. Then we can we can acknowledge that there is something in this for them that they are drawn to, that they are attracted to. Yeah, we shouldn't try and decide for them. And also, it's very hard to fake arousal. You might be able to fake an orgasm. But faking actual literal arousal is quite difficult for both. And so if we can practice also believing people when they say that they're interested in us, and I know that can be hard to receive if we don't, if we don't see ourselves as desirable or as worthy, Mm -hmm. some of this can come down to building our own erotic empathy, right? So empathy is the experience of being able to be like, okay, even if I'm not having that same emotion, I can make space for it and believe you, right? And so what would that be like for us to say, even if I don't see myself the way you see me, I can make space for it and believe you. If someone's saying, I think that you're sexy, I think you're attractive, I want to have sex with you, I desire you, you turn me on, I'm into this. Can we make space for that and believe them, right? Our mind likes to do the hypothetical, well, what if they're lying? What if they're, you know, what if they're tricking me? What if they're... But we very rarely challenge our imagination to consider, well, what if it's true? What if this person loves my back rolls or loves my soft belly or loves my kinky hair or loves my tone of voice or loves the way my body smells? What if it's true? And so that can also be a way that we can make a practice of shifting this this inner critical voice that we have adopted that also isn't ours. Let's also be clear that that's not your voice. You have picked that up from messages that you've gotten 
out in the world. And so you can decide, I choose to believe them and recreate this message for myself, even if it doesn't serve me, or I could try out a different voice. And even if it's unfamiliar or new, let me see if it gets me any closer to pleasure and connection or peace with my body than the shame voice did. Love that. And just to continue on this theme, because Mm. it's come up so much. Um, Someone else has written, uh, this is a couple who wrote in, they said, how do you get your, your sex life back after losing it during the pandemic? We've had sex twice since the pandemic started and apparently it's happened to many couples as well. And so, so what advice do you have for anyone listening who it's not related to weight? It's not related to a lack of sexuality. You've just kind of lost that space. I know we've kind of touched on it, but just to make sure that that's Mm -hmm. definitely answered because of how many people asked. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. So bringing back up here, right. So what in your lives changed through the pandemic, right? There was some disruption, right? And not just like the sort of vague, it's a pandemic, but it being a pandemic made very specific changes for you in your relationship over time. And so what has become more of a priority? What is taking more of our energy? What is taking more of our time? What is taking more of our attention, right? And so what shifts can we make there? What can we change to make more room for us to connect to each other in the ways that they're saying that they want to? I think it's also important and nobody likes when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, and I'm going to say it for always. Um, we have this um, sort of cultural myth that planning is unsexy. And maybe it's because I have a decent amount of Virgo in my chart, but planning makes the most sense to me if you're saying I am committed to making something I want to happen, happen, (laughs) right? There are very few other things in our life that we are like, I really want this, but I'm going to completely and totally leave it up to chance and then judge myself based on whether or not the opportunity magically arose. But like sex in relationships seems to be a place where we're like, we did no labor to make this happen and somehow it was supposed to just happen and we're judging ourselves because of it. Right? Mm-hmm. And so being able to be be planful and we totally miss and forget that lovers had all the planning, right? When you were just lovers, when you were flirting, if you had a hookup phase or a casual phase or an earlier phase in your relationship that felt differently sexual than now, we forget that there was actually a lot of planning, right? That went into it. Even if it wasn't like, let's pull out our calendars and sync our watches and then count backwards from 10, right? Even if it wasn't any of that, right? That we had the anticipation of dates and we had the looking forward to seeing each other and we had the carving out of time and the coordination of that, right? We had all of that extra planful energy that helped us build up the wantingness, right? Helped us lean into our creativity. It allowed us to use our imagination. It allowed us to really invest our 
energy such that if you were really busy at the start of your relationship, you know what you did? You figured out a creative place to like have some contact. Maybe we're, you know, making out in the car. Maybe we're, you know, fooling around in the closet. Maybe we are staying up a little bit later just to make sure that we have time to connect. Right. And so, yes, we build lots of comfort. We build lots of familiarity. We build lots of stability, you know, in our relationships. We build more security. And it's important for us to still plan and protect time and energy for adventure. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny you say that. And also, it doesn't have to be this gross iCal sex input as you sort of reference like you can make a whole thing of it you can make a dinner if you're still in lockdown you know what I mean Mm -hmm. you can both get dressed up even inside the house and just clear some time dim the lighting put on some candles you know just get cheesy get a little bit cheesy with it or whatever it is that you need (laughs) if you're into into. get the sex swing set up you know have all the lube ready the linoleum should be down in case there's a mess I just, uh, I think it's really important that you said that. It's so great. And and because uh, it's so true that, you know, we know that we're seeing this person that we're attracted to on Saturday. So it's like, right, going to do my little routine to get myself ready for the mm-hmm. sex. I'm excited for the sex. I know, I know to be ready for sexual cues. Because that's the other thing is that I think when you're working from home, I mean, I've been on my own most of the summer, but like, when I was working from home, uh, you know, and so was my boyfriend. It's just sort of like our headspaces are just all jumbled together. There's home and work all at the yeah. same time. And so you're, you, you have no sense of real routine or schedule. Everything's just a mishmash. And so you're not ready for sexual cues because you're just zooming all fucking day. You're zooming yeah. and organizing and making a mess and then cleaning up that mess and then nagging each other. And then the dog's done a piss in the carpet. It's just like, it's hard amongst, in and amongst all that chaos mm-hmm. to always be like, oh, are you giving me a vibe? <laughs> right, I'm spontaneously and, like and suddenly <laughs> sexy right now. At the in same the time as this. you. Yeah. Right, it, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't happen. And so I just hope, like I know that we're being a little tongue in cheek here. I hope that, this can just be an invitation for people to give themselves some compassion, right? That we have all of these mm. expectations, right? Mo- mostly because we weren't given any information. So we just fill in the blanks and we never saw anyone plan anything. And we didn't hear people talk about planning as if it's like a normal, natural thing and not just like a boring, you know, again, like Rolodex situation, right? Like we we weren't given permission to even explore what this could feel like for us in like an exciting way. But like, think about how good it can feel to have something to look forward to. Like if someone invites you to something and you're like, ooh, that would be so fun, right? Like mm-hmm. you want to be ready for that. And like, sure, like if someone is like, hey, what are you doing right now? You want to come over and like go to this party? Like, sure, there are going to be some times where you're like, yeah, I totally, yeah, let's do it, right? But notice that the busier our lives get, the more stressed out we are, the more overwhelmed we are, the more entrenched we are in our routines, the more things we have going on. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't work well. And even if we still do it now, I'm like in my head because like, did I turn the oven off? Oh, I still have that paper to write. Like, who's going to walk my dog, (laughs) right? Like, where did I leave my pencils, right? Like, all of the things that can just feel unfinished and too distracting for you to really, really enjoy your time, right? And so if we even reframe some of this planning around like an invitation, 
right? Inviting each other to a pleasurable experience, right? Or having a sex date or even just having a sexy date or just time to like not be doing all of the responsible or stressful stuff that you get up to otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. That you might notice that there are, that it feels like there are more opportunities for sex Mm -hmm. because I think a big a big thing that happens in long-term relationships is actually not loss of attraction, it's lack of attention. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iway today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iway. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Not everything in life is flexible. But at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. This next question, again, it falls within the mm. same theme, but is but struck me because it was just so um, honest. Should I leave my otherwise great boyfriend of many years if I simply cannot stand the idea of having sex with him again? A couple mm. of my friends are going through this, um, but this person wrote that in, and it just it was so short and succinct, and I I wondered what advice a therapist mm. would have. Because that's mm. intense. Yeah, and this is going through a, a yes or no question, I think. But and I'm going to be peak Gemini and say maybe, right? Maybe, mm. right? I I mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that there are a few things to consider. Um, first is how important is sex with your partner to you? 
it sounds like it is important enough to consider not being in a relationship with someone you are no longer interested in being sexual with. Number two, it is hard to want sex that isn't good. And that can apply to pretty much all of the conversations that we've had about like libido and interest and attraction. Like if the sex you are having is not pleasurable, you are not going to want it. Yeah. Right. No one likes going to the dentist. You know, right. we, you we uh, form our yeah. opinions based on our experiences. Right. That, that sex is not such a thing that you can want it and not if you don't like it. Right. You can want to want it. You can want to like it, but you cannot you are not going to want it if you do not like it. Desire requires pleasure. Desire requires pleasure. And so if you're saying, I am not just not experiencing desire, I'm actually experiencing disgust, it sounds like. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like yeah, a I strong, cannot stand mm-hmm. the idea. Or yes, like a strong aversion. Strong. You know, I, I, I wonder about the emotional undercurrent of that, right? Whether that's anger, whether that's resentment, whether that's disgust, whether that's apathy, but whatever is driving that, I would invite us to be curious about it because it sounds like the fact that you are, that this person is weighing their options, that there is, that feels like there is a lot at stake here. Right. It sounds like sex is important enough that I have to consider this, but the uh, relationship otherwise offers me enough that it feels it would feel also still like a big loss. And so the question for me then is like, is there room to make that different? Right. Okay. so you cannot stand the idea of having sex in the ways that you have previously or are currently having it. What kind of sex do you actually want? Do right. you want sex at all? Right. Would you be Would you be into an open relationship, perhaps, where if this is an otherwise great boyfriend who you're happy with, could you potentially be okay with the idea yeah. of them having sex with someone else? Right. And the, you having sex the, with someone I, else? Right. The answer could very well be the sex I want is not is no sex. Right. And mm-hmm. that that's a very real answer. Right. And so in this in however you would honestly answer the question for whomever this resonates for, the question is, like, what kind of sex do you want? Right. And what happens in that kind of sex? And when does that sex happen? And how does that sex start? And how does it continue? And how does it end? And what happens after? And who are the sort of people who would have that kind of sex? What would they do? And what would they say? And maybe what would they wear? And maybe what would they smell like, right? The more clear you can get with yourself about what it is that you want, we can also notice the difference between what it is that you want and what it is that you're getting. And then we have an opportunity to make an invitation to our partner to also have that same level of questioning for themselves around what it is that they want. And then we come together and see what are the things that we might want to co-create. Even if it's mm. some turn-taking, even if it's like sometimes sex goes this way and that's more your, you know, your movie. And sometimes sex goes this way and sometimes it's more my movie. And sometimes we do like a, you know, a fusion, a mashup, a crossover An situation. Avengers Assemble. Right. They, yeah. <laughs> look at you. Right? They would be so proud of you. They would be so proud of you. Look at that. Cross promo. Right? Oh, no. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I'm I 
she's more meant sort of sex with a cape. Uh, right. I mean, whatever it is you're but into. But also with heart. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you're into, linoleum and sex swing sold separately, right? That it is important for us to get really clear on what is it that we want. And I think that if you lay out very specifically for yourself and with your partner, what it is that you want, if they are unable or not wanting to participate in that, it makes your answer a lot more clear on what it is you need Mm. to do. Right. From right now, right. It's, you know, do I, you know, give all of this up in search of this thing that, you know, might be better somehow, somewhere else, right? The more information we have about what absolutely can or cannot, will and will will not happen, the easier it is for us to make an informed decision, even if it is a difficult one. Yeah. And you and I have spoken about this before on multiple different platforms, um, that I think this kind of leads into other questions I've been getting that more and more and more people are interested in polyamory and Mm -hmm. in open relationships and, and they still feel a bit guilty about that. They feel greedy Mm. and uh, broken. Mm. And I really wouldn't want anyone to feel that way because monogamy is really fucking hard. Mm. And I think that polyamory probably makes quite a lot of sense, especially for a lot of people that I know. I'm personally just, I don't know why. I'm just, I'm just on rails. I'm just only ever interested in one person at a time. I think mm-hmm. it keeps my life simple. I like to mm-hmm. nest. Uh, but I totally understand how some people would want to, especially after a certain amount of years, maybe how they would want to perhaps make sure that they keep the love and relationships that they have, but also get to fulfill their needs elsewhere. It is very, uh, traditionalist and um binary i don't know if that's the right word necessarily to think of sex as either uh, not just sex but like relationships as only with one person you have to get absolutely everything you need in the world from that one person and they have to be perfect otherwise you must leave them because they are not quote unquote the one Mm -hmm. and i think that's really dangerous because i know that i get a lot of the things in my life from my friends And so does my boyfriend from his friends and our shared friends. In fact, we live with our friends. Mm -hmm. So we're getting everything we need from multiple sources. We're never putting the pressure on each other to be absolutely fucking everything. I think that's such a dangerous, again, Hollywood-born lie Mm -hmm. and literature-born lie. Um, And so, you know, I think a lot of people are... Are you seeing an increase, would you say, in people interested in polyamory and coming to terms with the idea that you can't find necessarily everything in just one person? I think that it is becoming a bigger conversation, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Polyamory and non-monogamy has existed for the history of foreverdom, um, but most people haven't had the safety to be out about it. Uh, and a lot mm-hmm. of people still don't have the safety to be out about it. I think that because we are having more conversations, I think more and more people are feeling able to be out And I think seeing more and more people out uh, and being living real lives, right? And not just like the, you know, sort of Hollywood snapshot of the best parts or the worst parts, but having lives that have ups and downs and places in between. uh, I think it's giving more people permission to consider what this might actually look like or feel like is this for me it allows people to ask new questions and and i'll say that you know i'm 
for the last ooh, eight years, I've been living in, and practicing in Philadelphia, which, you know, the communities that I am in here and end up working with uh, in general tend to be folks who sort of sit at various um, sort of crossroads or intersections, you know, of being, you know, kinky, poly, queer, creative, you know, folks. And I think that a lot of people um, are also kind of feeling pressured to be non-monogamous in some way. I think that there is some way in which we can also talk about like the choice to not choose monogamy being somehow more like evolved, you know, you, you are more mature or you're more open-minded or you're more, whatever. more realistic. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that I just want to make sure I know it wasn't the question, but I, I want to name in case it is relevant to anyone here right now that, the whole point is is the choice, right? It's not about necessarily what you choose, right? It's actually allowing yourself to consider what the options are and choosing the things that feel in alignment with the person that you are or want to be or the life that you actually want to live. Uh, and so you have room to choose that without shame or judgment. And so if you choose monogamy and that's the right choice for you, awesome. And if you choose non-monogamy of any flavor and that's right for you, awesome. And so to bring it back to this question, as you're thinking about the sex that you want or the relationship that you want, what needs to be there, right? How clear can you be about that and the clearer we can be, and if we actually have that conversation with our partner or partners, because a lot of times we we do this whole thing in our head and we talk to our friends and we talk to our therapist and we talk to our parents and we talk to that person at the bus stop and we read every article that we can find online and we never actually talk to our partner, right? And so talk to the people that you're with, you're actually in a relationship with about what you want, and give them the opportunity to work with you on creating the kind of love, the kind of relationship, the kind of sex that mm. you want to have. So speaking of which, another question that we keep getting from everyone is around uh, either finally realizing or finally, finally feeling open to discuss the fact that they are interested in kink they have fetishes, they uh, are interested in things that perhaps they've never explored before, they've never explored with this partner. So people want to, people want to know how they should address that conversation with their partners. Mm. And a lot of people want to know this in my DMs. Yeah. I think it is important for us to start with the acknowledgement with ourselves that it is a gift that we give to our partners to allow them to get to know us, right? That it's a gift, right? That that's what we want. Ultimately, when we're saying, I want to be intimate with you, it's saying, I want to know you deeply. I want to understand or experience you deeply. And so if we can find ways to just be able to share, right, with, our, with each other, Right. That, 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 that is good. That is a good thing. And it's not saying just because I want this, you have to do this. Right. We're just starting out with it is good for our sex lives for my partner to know what turns me on. 
right? It's a good thing. And so we highlight the positives. We highlight the positives, right? So actually, before, before we do that, let me do another, another setup step, right? Let's start with making some space for people to receive, right? Making some space for people to hear you. And so checking in, is this a good time? Hey, I want to tell you something. Do you, do you even like to talk about sex, right? Do you talk about sex at all? Or would this be a conversation that right. is way out of left field? If we don't talk about this at all, and it would be really uncomfortable and awkward for you or for them to just start talking about sex while you're at the table with their 99-year-old grandmother, right? Maybe <laughs> don't. <laughs> Maybe don't. But if, if that's totally cool, then yeah, we can keep it casual. But if there needs to be a little bit more setup, then we do protecting to make sure that like we are both in the space to show up as our best selves to be vulnerable with each other. And so like, hey, I want to share something that feels kind of hard for me to talk about, but I really want you to know, you know, and I think it's a good thing, but I, I am feeling nervous about telling you about it. You know, can we talk about when would be a good time? I would really like your undivided attention, right? Or how do you feel talking about sex? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? What would make a conversation about sex easier for you? Right? We can have some of those pre-conversations before I actually share anything so that we can set up a good container for the information. I also think, um, you know, whenever I've had to have conversations around sex with partners in the past in particular, uh, when I, whenever I would have to reckon with my, you know, especially when I was young, with my own reticence to do it, I would then ask myself, well, would, would I be okay just never knowing all the things they want? Would I be okay with the idea that there's something they want or they need and they're too afraid to tell me? No, I would want to know. I want to know all of them. And so it's so true what you're saying that like, it's a gift that you give someone and it's a gift that you want to receive from someone. And this might open up an avenue where you never know what they might be into mm -hmm. too. Yeah. You know, people are, people take a minute to warm up to their own truth. Maybe they didn't even know they were into something and you will invite them into trying something that they didn't even know they like yet. Right. But I think that it's a really important conversation to have because we don't want to walk into something unaware of what the other person's into. We want to know that we're doing a good job. We've all got a bit of an ego, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think that it's, I think we should know that the other person probably, hopefully wants the same, otherwise they're probably a bit of a bad shag. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, even beyond ego, like it is so sexy to be sexual with a person who's having a good time, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are, turned on by each other's pleasure. And so if I can give you, it almost feels like I, I'm, I'm a gamer. It like feels like getting the cheat codes, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it feels like getting the cheat codes. Like, Hey, like I really, it really turns me on if you nibble on my ear or I would really love, you know, if you were to do this or that, you know, it could be really fun or interesting. And so this brings back up the conversation that we were having earlier about like an invitation. It's not saying you have to do this. It's not necessarily saying you need to do this, right? That this is you sharing a piece of information, right? You're letting your partner know this is something that brings me pleasure, or this is an adventure I would love to go on with you, right? And it's open-ended, right? You cannot force anybody to do anything that's super unsexy. We don't want that. We always honor consent. We, we are not coercing anyone 
into doing anything, mm-hmm. right? So that's not the energy that we're bringing and that we make clear with them that that also is not the intent of the conversation, right? So I'm giving you a piece of information. Whatever you choose to do with it is up to you. And if it feels important to me that this piece of information is acted on, then I make a specific request that they can say yes or no, or maybe, or let me think about it too. And it's ideal if we give them time to think about it, even if they say yes, because some of us just say yes. I'm a compulsive yes person. If you say anything that sounds fun, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Right. Anything at all in the world. And then like later on, I'm like, oh, wait, that sounds really unsafe or actually I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so I actually need right. a lot of us need a little bit more time to just process yeah. and check in and to learn more about it. Right. But we create some safe container to have the conversation if it feels like weighted or if it feels sort of unusual or unnatural. We create some, some added container. We highlight the positive aspects of it and just share the thing. I really like it when you're really great at. I keep thinking about we make room for it to be a little bit of a conversation. So are there things that you're really into that I don't know about yet? You know, have you ever tried that? What was it like for you? Right. And then we make a specific request if it's something we really would like to pursue. You know, I'm feeling really excited about about being able to try this with you. You know, would you want to, you know, and maybe we don't if if they're not ready to try it, maybe like, are you open to reading more about it? I have this video that I watched that really inspired me. Can I send it to you? There was this fanfic that was really, really hot. You know, can I send you like the best part? You know, I will highlight for it, highlight it for you. I will put it in our shared calendar. Like we can invite people into what could be an exploration. So then follow up questions. Yeah. What do you do if you are the person who's being propositioned with the new thing, invited? Mm -hmm. That's a nicer way of saying it, isn't it? Um, but if you, what do you do if you're the person being invited to participate in a new sex act, but you don't want to do it? Can you offer some language for a kind way to make sure that you say no without shaming someone? Because sometimes our own discomfort can lead to us making an embarrassed reaction that can sometimes then uh, embarrass the person who has asked us. And that's not ideal. It would yeah. be better to to leave shame out of the bedroom as much, much as possible, unless that is your thing, um, mm. in which case no judgment. But um, can you offer a way to kindly let someone down in that? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's the same way, hopefully, that we could, you know, be thoughtful about declining any other invitation that we might get. That sounds like it'd be really fun for you. That doesn't actually sound as fun for me. Yeah, like camping. Right. I, you know, um, I'll never, I will never go camping <laughs> ever as long as I live. You right. have to drag they, my dead body. I'm really glad that you told me that you love to go camping. I don't love to go camping. Right? Yes. Boom. Right. And, and we can, if we are worried about someone feeling shamed or judged, we can actually just tell people, right? People are always like, oh, how do I do this? I don't want them to feel this way or that way. We can actually just tell them that it's not our intent to make them feel a certain way. We can't we're not always going to be able to protect and prevent people from having feelings. People have real feelings and they're allowed Mm -hmm. to feel how they feel. Right. But we can be really clear. This is not me judging you. Right. I'm not judging that. I'm actually really glad one that you told me and two that that feels good to you. 
it just doesn't feel good for me. And so I don't want to do that, but I'm open to continuing to talk about the things that feel good to both of us or to making yeah. sure that you feel heard or that you feel seen or that you feel pleasure, or that you feel whatever that thing makes you feel right. We're going to bring it to food because as always, it is a good I knew example. you would. I always, knew you would. I hoped will. you would. Yeah, I we, hoped you we, would. We almost, we almost didn't, but here we are. And we did. Right. That if someone were to be like, ooh, like I really love bananas. I don't like bananas. Right. Bananas are a visceral full body. No, for me, like from literal feet away, my whole body says no. But that's for me, not a judgment on people who like bananas. Just my body says nope. Big nope. Capital no. Right. And so if someone was like, hey, would you like to split this banana muffin with me? It is the best fucking muffin I have ever had in my entire life. And I would really love for you to have a piece. Right. It is a big effing no for me, but I'm not going to be like, Ew, what the right. Like, that's not gracious or mm-hmm. kind. Right. And so the difference is like, no, thank you. <laughs> right. Like it's a, it can really be as simple as saying no, and then- thank you. And then, so then what about the after steps of in the event that someone says no, but thank you, then what do you as the person who's offering the invitation do? Sorry, I know I'm throwing all these no, different no, kind of good. angles of this, no, but, but I just really, really feel like the, the fantasy is that we say it and then it's this really warm, cuddly conversation and then we do it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the answer is just no. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on an absolute no-no with the bum-bum. I'm just on a no with there the bum. And every boyfriend who's ever dated me has been told that whether they've asked for it or not. Good. My bum is just, it's a, it's no entry. It's a no. And so, Exit and now only. all of my, <laughs> we're about to hit 10 million downloads on this podcast. <laughs> now lots and lots of people know that my bum is off limits. All right. Good. If you guys are wondering. And that way, um, if anybody ever is interested in making an invitation to you, they already know what not to invite you to. What? Exactly. Don't right. invite me to my bum. <laughs> right. Or Great. your bum. Great. But and so, so what do you do? What do you do if that if mm-hmm. if someone has said no? If the, you've invited them to do something, what's the next step? The thing that trips us up all the time is that we hear no as a global rejection of your worth as a human being. Mm-hmm. They do not want to have a bite of this banana muffin and that obviously means that they hate me they think i am disgusting and no one should ever see my face ever again right and don't get me wrong it doesn't feel good to receive a no especially because we were never set up to deal with rejection absolutely and had we been set up to to know how to handle giving rejection and receiving rejection as children yeah um rather than it being so stigmatized we wouldn't now have so many you know consent issues a lot of us were not given compassionate no's a lot of us got really cruel brutal Mm no's and sometimes we got no's to things that were drastically important, like significant needs that were not met, right? So we can have lots of stuff wrapped up in no, but it is important Mm -hmm. for us to remember and acknowledge in the same way that someone saying yes to a thing is not a global overarching and total and complete yes, which we seem to have a good sense of, like if someone takes a bite 
out of a banana muffin one time, it doesn't mean that they want to marry me and spend the rest of their life with me forever and ever and ever, right? Then the same needs to also be true for a no, that someone saying no doesn't mean that they like hate your guts and never want to see you again, right? And so we can keep the conversation going depending on what the conversation is about. If the conversation is about pleasure, now we talk about other things that are pleasurable. What would feel good to you? What do you like? Is there any part Mm -hmm. of this that you like, right? And it's not about convincing them to want what you want or like what you like. This is a process of getting to know and understand each other's tastes, each other's palates, each other's desires, each other's appetites. Because since sex is an opportunity for pleasure, and if you are deciding you are going to have sex with someone other than yourself, then sex needs to be an opportunity for mutual pleasure, for shared pleasure. And so... The no is crucially important because it makes sure that whomever you are having sex with wants to be there and wants to do the things that you are doing. And that is Mm -hmm. the only way that we both have or we all have, right? However many people are there, right? That we are all having a good time is that we know what people's boundaries are. We know what their no's are and we do not cross them. And so what do you do now? You have this thing that you want to do and you don't feel satiated maybe mm-hmm. without that thing. Is that a time to have the conversation with yourself of can I can I continue to have a fulfilling sex life without that thing that I really want to do? Or do I need to, I don't know, ask permission to do that elsewhere, you know, with someone else perhaps who is into it because my partner loves everything about me, but isn't into that thing? Or is the, I mean, is it so important to me that the relationship therefore cannot continue? I think that that process that you just walked through, very similar to, you know, some of the questions that we asked earlier, you have to, you have to decide how important this is to you for you to have the thing that you want in the exact way that you want it at the exact time that you want it. Right. Some of the things that we ask for are not just wants, they are needs, and we will be unsatisfied or unhappy without them. And so it is up to us for us to listen to ourselves enough to try and get a sense of that. And we won't mm-hmm. always be a hundred percent sure, but if it's important enough for us to be strongly considering that, then that's important information to give to your partner for the two of you to figure out what is possible here. So maybe, you know, bananas and bumholes are visceral no's. Right? Well, that's the name of, that's going to be the name of my new band, <laughs> bananas and bumholes. <laughs> it's almost as good as mouse rat. So yeah. it's, it's, imp- it's important for us to get a sense for us of like what our actual wants and needs are so that we can also be really clear with our partners so that they know what they are agreeing to and consenting to so that we can negotiate for what is what is there actually room for maybe i can't have the thing that i want in the exact way that i want it but what is the bandwidth is there any room for me or us to participate in this thing Right. Are you Mm -hmm. able to support me in that? Are you able to help create experiences for me in that? Are you able to just like move out of my way in that? 
ride and cheer me on from a distance or just like not talk or not ask about it. But that's the room that you need to give me in order for me to be able to do my thing. Right. But it's important for us to get really clear with us how significant it is again, so that we can all make choices. And let's talk about the root cause of why people even are still struggling to even have this conversation and why we don't have the vocabulary even for this conversation. Um, is that, you know, I got a lot of questions asking me specifically, I'll read it out now, are fetishes a result of trauma? Like there are so many theories around kinks and fetishes, a lot of which have, uh, uh, I don't know if I want to say the word adverse, but like, you know, they are, have adverse associations where people think, oh, you're damaged or you're a weirdo or an outlier, whereas actually a lot of people are into fetishes the world of kink and it's a very you know i've said this before on this podcast that the the bdsm community for example is it's like their foundation is consent it's one of the safest sexual communities in the world because it's very very everyone's very clear about what they want out of every interaction they're clear with one another they have a safe word they are the conversation is not stigmatized or um shamed in any way uh so i think there's a lot of misunderstanding around that so would you mind answering that question are fetishes Mm a result of trauma? And also, would you address the continuing stigma, Mm -hmm. please? Yeah, I I will also start off by saying that, yeah, there are a lot of things that we can learn from kinky communities um, about consent, about conversations. Absolutely, in any community, we can get shit wrong. Um, But I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to learn how to get a lot more things right. And so as we think about fetishes, fetishes are specific sexual interests, so they can fit under the umbrella of kink. Um, but kink, you know, itself is is an umbrella term that um, includes just a variety of erotic identities and interests and behaviors and practices. Um, and so, yeah, fetishes as a specific sexual interest are not a result of pathology, is that's kind of the whole answer. The answer is no, <laughs> it's not a result of trauma necessarily. Yes, we can become hyperfixated on something because of trauma or because of OCD or ADHD. Like there are all sorts of ways that we can find our attention drawn to a particular thing, but it is a dramatic oversimplification of pleasure and of the breadth of experience for us to say, you like this thing because of trauma. First of all, all of us have experienced trauma, all kinds of traumas. A lot of Uh people have specific sexual interests that have nothing to do with the traumas that they've encountered, right? A lot of people have had traumas that include the very same thing and they are not interested in that thing or have a strong aversion to that particular Uh thing, right? So it, it... it would be the same as trying to decide the exact reason why you like a flavor that you like, right? Like there are people who put like sriracha on everything, right? That is a very specific. Right, there's no need to attack me on my own <laughs> podcast. That's fine. Uh, right, like I did invite you on as a guest. Shadeen, I'd like to invite you. Sorry. I'm South Asian. Big... We put food in our chili. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Right? Like we can have a very specific and particular palette. And to try and track and say like, this is the exact moment at which that became a thing for you, I think is is really uh, 
I mean, not even useful, truthfully, right? I, I think beyond trying to track why we like what we like, it is more useful for us to find ways to invite people into experiences that are pleasurable mm-hmm. to us. Because like the why isn't the point. Like even if we figure out why, let's say, you know, hypothetically speaking, let's say you are really interested in something and that connects to a traumatic experience for you. Right. Then what? Okay. Now that we know that, then what? Right. What good can we do with that information? A lot of people have been given that narrative from like a conversion therapy sort of kind of eugenic lens of like, oh, we're going to find the root of this so we can eradicate it and fix it and change it. But if this is a thing that feels good to you that doesn't harm anyone, like why go on that expedition? Right? Like if this is something that brings you pleasure, even if it came from trauma, could we imagine how beautiful that is that we could come out of trauma and find some way to experience sensory pleasure? Like that's for me, amazing. that's, that's an amazing way of putting it. That would that's be an amazing a miracle way of putting it. to me. That would be a gift to me. And so if, even if you're, even if you can trace some of your earliest awareness of the thing that you're into to a traumatic experience, maybe some of the reframe is what a miracle it is that despite me going through that horrible, unfair, undeserved experience, I could come out with something good. Yes. And so anyone listening out that felt like a fucking sermon, it was so good. Mm. Um, For anyone out there who is thinking to invite someone to do something more kinky or fetishy or more out there than what you've been doing until now, listen to Shadeen's words. There is nothing wrong with you for just seeking pleasure however you choose to seek pleasure. And similarly, if someone invites you to do something, there's nothing wrong with that person for wanting that thing and there's nothing wrong with you if you do not want that thing. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Not everything in life is flexible. But at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Lastly, I want to just, because I've I've had so much of your time, I feel so grateful and lucky, Mm. Um, but there was also a lot of people talking about uh, adult virginity. Mm-hmm. Like people who are, and we've, we have tackled this once before on the last episode, but just in case someone hasn't heard it, someone wrote in just saying, virginity, even when you're older, how to deal with other people oversharing about their sex life and demanding you do the same and how to navigate that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Every time uh, I'm about to talk to you on YouTube or Instagram or here, a lot of people talking about the fact that they are virgins um, into their 20s, some 30s. And I just want to remind everyone I was uh, well into my 20s when I lost my virginity. So 
you are not alone. I am here with you. <laughs> um, but would you mind answering that question before you go? Yeah. Virginity is a social construct. There is no sort of formal criteria for the point at, in time at which you are meant to do a specific set of sexual things. And as you talk with people, you will hear how many different definitions there are for what makes someone a virgin, right? You know, is it anything over the clothes, anything under the clothes? Is kissing still virginity? Is any sort of penetration? What if I don't have, what if I am not having sex with a penetrating partner or I don't like, pen right? Like there's all of these, there's, there's too many metrics to consider, right? Mm -hmm. So I start with that first and foremost for us to move away from the comparison or the living up to some completely imaginary metric of what we are supposed to be doing. If you did not mm -hmm. want to, or did not have appealing offers, then it was the exact right choice for you to say, no, thank you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And also just from my personal experience, mm. I'm so glad I was older I'm so glad I had that time and space to learn what I wanted, to read social cues a bit better, to figure out if I actually liked someone or if I was just trying to get it out of the way so that I would be acceptable at school. I did get teased a lot about it uh, at school and into my 20s, but uh, it was it was worth it to just wait until I found the right person who made me feel safe. And then I had a wonderful first experience and not everyone does. And you don't have to be in your 20s to be able to have a wonderful, safe experience the first time. Plenty of people do in their teens, but there's definitely nothing wrong with waiting until you're ready to do anything, especially something as intimate as sex. Right. And so for us to be able to honor the journeys that we've been on for whatever reasons that we haven't done, whatever things that we're using, you know, as our sort of definition of virginity, right? Like first making peace with either it wasn't right I mean, usually that, that, that is kind of the whole answer. It, it wasn't mm -hmm. right. I, and I, and, or I didn't want to, or I didn't have the opportunities to do something that I wanted. The question it moved towards, you know, what do I, what do I do when people are oversharing and pressuring me to share? Oversharing, you know, is subjective. So, you know, this is a question about boundaries, really. And so how do I communicate my boundaries? with other folks about sort of hearing about their sexual information, right? Hearing details about their sexual lives and experience. How do I set boundaries about that? And then how do I set boundaries with people wanting more information from me that I'm willing to give? Right. And so some of this is about us practicing again, our no's and our no thank yous, mm -hmm. right? That we can be really clear with people. Hey, I actually don't feel, I, I don't like to talk about sex, or I don't like to answer sexual questions, right? And people will likely ask you why, and no is a full, a full statement, but if we're trying to get to know each other, it actually can be really helpful for people to get to know your why. And so that's a good invitation for you first and foremost to get clear on your why. Not so much why are you a virgin, right? But why don't you like to have the conversation? And uh, the thing that is most helpful, I think, to being understood is for you to track the feelings, Right. So how does it make you feel? Right. How does it make you feel to receive a, a lot of sexual information about other people's lives? 
right? How does it make you feel when you are processing your own sexual experiences or sexual history? And we can share that, right? That we can say, hey, I actually don't really like to talk about sex because it makes me feel insert feelings in blank, you know, mm. uncomfortable. It makes me feel really judgmental about myself. And, and that's not a thing that I like to feel. And so I would like to ask that we don't talk about that for a while, or we don't talk about that until we're ready. Or I would like to be the one to initiate those conversations um, because that makes me feel more comfortable. I notice that I start to shut down if people are, are asking me a lot of questions about myself sexually, right? Like we can give the people the information to help them understand our choices. We do not, we are not required to do that. It can be helpful to do that. If we're saying, I want people to understand me because people are more likely to honor boundaries that they understand. It doesn't mean, again, people are, are meant to attend to our boundaries and treat them as important at baseline but it's easier to follow a rule if you get it, mm. right? If I get the consequences of like, oh, it's not just like something that someone arbitrarily decided, like it makes them feel bad, right? Or they really don't like this, right? It gives people another way to really take it seriously. And it gives us good information that when they don't, oh, this probably isn't a person that I want to pursue a deeper relationship with sexual or otherwise, right? That people don't, that, that don't honor and respect the clear boundaries that we set, you know, and the agreements that we make about how we're going to relate to one another. When people do not honor that, it also lets us know that this is probably not a person that I want to be more vulnerable with emotionally, mm -hmm. spiritually, sexually, whatever. So it's a, it's a question of boundaries, right? We let people know what we do and do not want and how those things make us feel and allow them I to love live into I love talking to you. Mm -hmm. I love talking to you. You're like a sniper. <laughs> you just never miss. Um, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time when you have such a busy practice of your own. Mm -hmm. uh, I really, really, really appreciate how empowering all of your advice always is, how calm, how kind, how empathetic. I think empathy is at the heart of a lot of your work and a lot of what you want other people to have, empathy and compassion, not only to each other, but to ourselves. And so... I really, really appreciate you mm, and uh, I will let you go now. And I'm sure as soon as this fucking episode is over, I shall be asked for you to come back again. <laughs> so, uh, so please come back again. Um, cause there are so many more questions. Sorry if we didn't get to yours. I tried to just kind of generalize over the subjects that came up a lot as much as I could, but, um, our lovely, lovely Shadeen, um, could, just as well come back again and um and so lots of love to everyone stay safe be enthusiastic about whatever you do or don't do and um have a lovely day thanks shadeen of course sending everyone wishes for peace and pleasure thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWeigh. Lastly, over at iWeigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 
660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh my effort to treat and look after myself through my anxiety disorder. I weigh my positivity that I share to my family and my friends and those around me, even when I don't feel it myself. I weigh my veganism, my care for the planet and animals, and I weigh my love for the people around me, even though I can be really shy and not show it. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.